Well, in our day of frivolous lawsuits, we've got more and more warning labels that show up, right? We, we want to make sure that the McDonald's coffee has the warning label that says this is hot. You know, just in case you spill it in your lap and, and you want to sue McDonald's, you have been warned, right? So we have more and more warning labels that, that come up, and, and some of them are completely unnecessary. Some of them are completely obvious and are are written for somebody who really doesn't have enough sense, right? And so here's a few that I found online. I just want to kind of go through a couple of these. This first one, so we've got this stop sign. Um, in case you were concerned about whether or not this road continued through and you needed to go or stop, stop, all right? Um, you may be forced to stop yourself. Um, caution, this sign has sharp edges. Um, do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, the bridge is out ahead. There's probably not the right priority of information there. This next one, do not breathe under the water. Next time, next time you're at the pool, make sure you don't breathe under the water. Uh, this next one, um, please lock the door while using the restroom. I think this one's kind of self-policing, right? Um, you go to the restroom and don't lock the door, you're going to face the consequences of that, right? Um, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. <laughs> Very graphic consequences if you hold the wrong end of the chainsaw, right? Uh, this next one here. Um, no lifeguard on duty. Um, in, ca in case that splash part gets a little, little crazy, there is no lifeguard on duty to save you from half an inch of water. All right, the next one. Um, touching wires causes instant death. And if that consequence is not enough, you're going to get a $200 fine. This next one. Caution, this machine has no brain, use your own. I think that's the one that really needs to be on all these, right? The machine does not have the brain. You need to use yours. What's the next one here? Um, caution, water on road during rain. Um, if you were not aware of what happens when it rains, rain comes from the sky and gets the road wet. So just, just be aware of that. This next one, um, this is a school zone that is very specific, and it's going to take you about 15 minutes to decipher whether or not you should go 25 or not, okay? So between 6.49 and 7.15, and between 7.52 and 8.22, and 8.37 and 9.07, make sure you're going 25, all other times are okay. Just make sure your clocks are synced, right? I think, is that the last one? Oh, no, this is the last one. Um, that is the end of a sidewalk. If you were not aware, that is the end of a sidewalk. Signs that are not so helpful, right? Uh, things that should be obvious, things that we don't need warnings for, uh, but the warnings are thrown out there anyway, right? The warning is there. But there are things that we need to be warned on. There are times in our lives where, where we are touching up to something that we don't need to be touching up to, and we need to be warned. Um, there are things that are unseen. There are, there are consequences that we may not immediately see, and we need those warning signs. Warnings can be good. And so we're in chapter 15 of the story. We're going from we're going through the story and looking at excerpts of the story from Genesis to Revelation, and we're in chapter 15, which is going through the kings. 
And we're going through this, these stories of, of the kings of Israel and, and the good kings, which were very few, and the bad kings, which were a great majority. And we saw last week that the, the, the kingdom had split into two. It's now a fractured place. God's desire for unity has been broken. And so if you're visiting with us or are new with us, we'd love for you to pick up a copy of the story at the table in the foyer and jump in with the reading with us. Stay on top of the reading. How many of you read chapter 15? Put you on the spot here. So we've got quite a few of you that are staying up with the reading. So, so jump on board, catch up, or just jump in at chapter 16 for next week and be reading along with us. As we read through scriptures, we're seeing God give guideposts, give guidelines and, and borders and boundaries for us. And he sets these up to protect us. He sets these up for our own benefit. He sets these up so we can be a blessing to others. And so we read through scripture and we see the warning signs that God gives us. Before there was tragedy and destruction, he would always send a prophet to warn and so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in the prophets and, and looking at some of these prophets, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, different, different prophets. And, and these are ones that were God's messengers. These are the ones that are sent by him when, when destruction is around the corner, when something bad is going to happen. God sends his messengers. He sends these prophets. And so remember, last week we had this kingdom that was led by Rehoboam, and Jeroboam takes the northern tribes, and they become their own kingdom. And Jeroboam is just as much of a mess as Rehoboam, and he comes in, and he digs out the idols out of storage, and dusts them off, and, and sets up idols for the people to worship. He doesn't want the people to have to go to Jerusalem to worship. He wants them to be able to, to worship there. And so idolatry is something that escalates more and more and more. Quite the legacy for a king, right? To lead a kingdom into a, a place of idolatry. And so after the divided kingdom, there were 208 years. 208 years and 38 kings. Out of those 38, how many of those kings were good? Five. Five out of 38 were described as good. The others were not just described as okay. They were described as evil. And so we've got these evil kings that are leading. And so at the end of chapter 14, we read this in 1 Kings chapter 16. It's page 201 of the story. In the 38th year of King Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, this is his legacy, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before. So of all those bad kings, Ahab comes along and he is the worst. He is the most evil king, and this is pretty bad. And, and to add to this, he, he marries this real winner of a woman. He marries this, this woman named Jezebel whose name becomes something for us today to, to describe a pretty horrible woman. It's a nickname that we give to a promiscuous woman or an immoral woman. She has left quite a name for herself, right? 
And so this is Ahab's wife, and, and she comes in and convince him, convinces him to worship Baal. And so the God changes from, from the true God to idol worship of Baal. And Jezebel tries to kill all the prophets, and she brings in her own prophets, 450 of these prophets of Baal, to come lead this new worship for this worldly God. And so God sends Elijah with a message. Is this a good message or a bad message? This is a bad message. God sends Elijah to Ahab and says, there's going to be a drought. It's going to be so dry that you won't even have dew in the morning. This, this drought is going to go on for years. And this is the consequence of what has been done here. And so he gives this message to King Ahab, and Ahab is not exactly excited about this message, so Elijah goes on the run, and Elijah goes into hiding, and he comes back, and it starts to rain. And so we see this theme throughout the prophets, and and really through a lot of the Old Testament, this theme of idolatry. This thing, this, this idea of worshiping something other than the one true God. And this is such a big deal throughout the prophets. So, so why is idolatry something that is so consistently brought up, something that is so problematic? We see through the story from beginning to end, the story is, a really, is really about the glory of God. The glory of God. And so where there is idolatry, the glory of God is stolen away. Idolatry takes away from the glory of God. And so it's easy for us to skip over these stories because they don't seem all that relevant. Okay, How many of you have a golden calf in the middle of your living room that you all circle around? Oh, John does? All right. All right. We don't really struggle with golden calves, right? But many of us do have other things that we circle our chairs around in our living room, right? We have entire stadiums that circle around something in the middle of it, right? And so we skip over this thinking, okay, I don't have this golden thing that I bow down to. And so idolatry is no longer an issue for me to deal with. But idolatry is a very real thing for us to deal with. Because Idolatry is an issue of, a heart, of the heart. It's an issue of, of what is of most importance. And so we have the same heart issues today that they had back then. It just manifests itself in very different ways. The TV, our spouses, our careers, money, all of these things can start to get in the way of crowding out God and taking the glory away from God. We're asking things and people to satisfy us in a way that only God is intended to satisfy. And so the role of the prophet was to help the people identify what it was that was in the place of an idol in their lives. The prophet comes in and calls the people out for their idolatry. David Clarkson was a a preacher back in the 1600s. He had a sermon that identified the modern, in 1660, the the, the modern idolatries of the heart. And it is a timeless piece that can speak so much to us today, if you can get past 
the 1600s language. But he presents seven questions as kind of a check on what it is that might be an idol in our lives. So let's go through these seven questions and quietly reflect to yourself your answer to each of these questions. And they're hard questions. Number one, what are you most disappointed with? What are, what, what's the thing that you're most disappointed with? The thing that is just like, oh man, that is just not the way it should be. I wish this were this way. What are you most disappointed with? It could be a relationship. It could be a bank account. It could be the, the place in your job. It could be the condition of your children. What are you most disappointed with? Because those disappointments reflect, on, reflect to us what our hope is in. What is our hope in? So what are you disappointed with? That may help you identify what an idol might be in your life. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? That's a big one. We talked a lot about that at the first of the year, or the, the, the end on the December 28th, looking at the resources that we have. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? The Bible tells us where your treasure is, there your heart is, Right? So where, our, where we invest and sacrifice our time and money shows where our heart is. What do you worry about? What are the worries of your life? What are the concerns of your life? Is it appearance? Is it weight? Is it the condition of your house? What are the things that you worry about? Number four, where do you go when you get hurt? This is a big one because this is where we show our trust in something. Do you go to a bottle? Do you go to a website? Do you go to fill in the blank? Where do you go when you get hurt? Number five, what makes you mad? What just really gets your, your blood boiling? What gets you, what gets you upset? You know, when, when your team loses that week, does it ruin your week? If somebody says something critical to you, does it ruin your week? Do you burn on that? Number six, what brings you the most joy? What do you celebrate? What we celebrate... And, and you know, what God gives us, he gives us great gifts. But do we celebrate the gifts or do we celebrate the giver of the gifts? All things come from God, do we celebrate him? And then last, whose applause do you long for? Who do you need approval from to feel good? Is it a parent? Is it a spouse? Is it a boss? Who do you need approval from? And so these are tough questions, right? How many of you are uncomfortable right now? Okay, you're all lying. <laughs> these are tough questions, right? Because we, we ask these questions of our lives, and, and we, we, we reflect on these, and each and every one of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can find things in each one of these questions, and the answer is not God. At least not completely, right? 
You know, there's a part of me that still, ooh, that, that, that thing really gets to me. Or, man, there, there, there are times, like last night, I just wanted to crash on the couch and watch TV. And that was the comfort that I received after a very long day. And so what are those things that we go to? How do you honestly answer those questions? So an idol is anything or anyone other than God that takes the passion, the value, the hope, the glory, the commitment of your life. So where does the passion go? Where does the value go? Where does the hope go? Where does the glory go? Where does the commitment go? Because anything in that spot other than God is an idol. So suddenly those golden calves are a lot more frequent around the room, right? An idol is a cheap substitute for God. Just a cheap substitute. When I was a kid, I had, every kid loves a good sweet cereal, right? Sugared cereal, moms hate it, kids love it kind of thing. And so, so my, my favorite cereal growing up, and still my favorite cereal, is Cocoa Puffs, right? I don't eat Cocoa Puffs anymore, okay? Um, unfortunately. I'm a little bit more responsible than that. Occasionally I'll have some for a snack. But Cocoa Puffs, these are the, the winner. This is the, the, the breakfast cereal of choice for Jason the kid, right? And they've even evolved here. This is Cocoa Puffs with stars. This is fancy, right? Okay, so Cocoa Puffs are great. I would always want Cocoa Puffs. My mom would buy Cocoa Puffs and then she would buy Kicks. How many of you know what Kicks are? The opposite of Cocoa Puffs. And she would try to mix those two together so that we could have a little bit of both worlds, right? A little bit of healthy, a little bit of not. But she would always put the cereal in these plastic containers, right? So that you could keep them fresh longer. And so you'd dump them out of the box and you would eat the cereals. And, and I would get a bowl of Cocoa Puffs and I would dig in and one by in, I knew that something was not right some major, major crisis had just occurred because it was not Cocoa Puffs. It was this blasphemous product. <laughs> this is the Kroger brand, which is Cocoa Puffed Cereal or Cocoa Ruse, whichever one you prefer. It comes in a dog food bag. And for the budget-conscious mother, you get twice as much for your money, more than twice as much, actually. And so the, the, the budget-conscious mother would want these, but she would hide this bag and put them in the clear plastic container so I would not know the difference between the cheap substitute, right? And so there are cheap substitutes in our life. This is the cheap substitute. This is the idol that we don't want, right? We want the real thing. We want the real thing, and, and that's our priority. That's the lesson for all of us today, get Cocoa Puffs. But we settle for cheap substitutes, right? There's so many things that we, we either blindly settle for, or, or it's just comfortable, it's easy to go to the cheap substitute. It's easier to go to the TV screen, it's easier to go to the computer, it's easier to go to the bottle, it's easier to do those substitutes than it is to worship God. 
But it is just a cheap substitute. It is not the real thing. It is not the quality product. It is not what has been promised to us. And so we get into these places where we worship these idols. We have the cheap substitutes. But they're not the same. And so our culture force feeds us cheap substitutes all the time. They say that this kind of relationship or, or this kind of career or this, this thing will satisfy you. This God will satisfy you. You don't need the real one. But there's so much more. And so God addresses idolatry through the prophets. And that's what he's doing here in chapter 15. Elijah says to, to Ahab, there's going to be a great drought. And it's interesting here because Baal, or I had an Old Testament professor who insisted that it was Baal. Baal, or Baal, he is the god of what? Water and weather and rain, right? So God is directly attacking and directly correcting what they have turned to as a cheap substitute. And he's withholding the blessing in the area of their lives that they had elevated to God's status. And so there are things that we elevate to God's status in our lives, and it's no wonder that God withholds his blessings on certain things in our lives. Drought in our life in one area could match up with something that is going on in our lives that is is equal to a God in our hearts. Now, this is not a, a direct formula. This is not a, a every-time kind of rule. And so there's not this formula of, okay, I get the thing right here, and then I get this blessing. I'm not talking about that. But there are times that God withholds blessings from us in an area that he wants us to turn to him in. Why would God bless something that we've replaced him with? And so if you are in a career that seems like a dead end and you are making career your God, why would God bless that career? Why would he do that? And so think about the areas that you might be in a drought in, and that may help you expose where an idol might be in your own life. Elijah sets up this great competition. I love this story. This is, the imagery here is just incredible, right? So Elijah sets up this competition. Set up an altar and have those 450 prophets of Baal come and pray to Baal to burn up this altar, right? So 1 Kings 18, Elijah says this, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets to Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. The people said nothing. So here, Elijah says, follow one or the other. And the people's response is, nothing. They're not going to choose Baal. They're not going to choose God. There's just a lack of response. And I think there might be something going on here where actually they want both. We don't want to turn away from God. We just want the other thing too, right? 
We want God and. God and this idol. God and this indulgence. God and this selfishness. God and this idol. We want God and Baal. We don't want to have to pick between the two, right? And then he continues. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there, is, there, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. This is fun. Shout louder! Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Such great humor here. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So maybe this god Baal is just out for a nap, or a walk, or on vacation somewhere. But shout a little bit louder, and maybe he'll hear you. So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. They were willing for blood to flow for their idols. And we think, oh, I would never do that. But how many of us have shed blood on our idols? How many of us have, have shed blood on the altar of addiction, or shed blood on the sacrifice of a marriage, or or shed blood on a sacrifice of a relationship with children. We have shed blood in the idols that we have set up for ourselves. We have set things ahead of God, and we have faced the consequences of those, but we have not turned away from those. We have shed blood. So then Elijah continues, and he's going to make this even more interesting. He wants to soak the altars with water and make sure they're just drenching wet so that God can show up and make all the difference. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant and have done all the things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning your heart, their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. It burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it also licked up all the water in the trench that was around it. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The people witness this great act of God, and they are, they, they are aware of their idolatry. And they turn and say, you are the real God. God comes in and shakes them up in an incredible way. And they realize who the true God is. You see, idolatry is not just offensive to God. Idolatry is something that hurts God. It's very much like having an affair on a spouse. It's having an affair on God, and that's how he feels whenever we choose other things over him. He is the rejected one, and he feels that hurt. 
At the end of the chapter, we read the story of Hosea. And Hosea is just such a strange and fascinating story. God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute. Not something that we really give our kids advice on, right? And go marry this prostitute, and her name is Gomer. So it gets better, right? So we've got the prostitute named Gomer. And this is the one that he is supposed to go and marry. And he goes and marries Gomer and takes her into his home and, and takes her in as his wife. Regardless of her past, regardless of her mistakes, regardless of, of what she has chosen as a career, he takes her in and loves her as his wife. Well, it's not long before Gomer falls back into her old ways and goes back to her old career. And so Hosea is very rightful in divorcing her, but God says, go back to her and bring her home. And so he goes to Gomer and shows her this love and grace and compassion. He says, I want you back. I want you back. And so God would say to us, even in the midst of idolatry, even in the midst of those mistakes, even in the midst of having our priorities out of whack, I want you back. I want you more than anything. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of the choices that you've made, regardless of the mistakes that you've made, come home. Come home. There's an old church song, Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. The refrain says this, Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. And so these words invite us in to experience the depth of God's love. That even if you're weary, even if you are sinful, even if you've made mistakes, regardless of all of that, come home. Come to me. There is no one and no thing that should sit on the throne of your heart other than God. There is only one place there. And if there is something or someone that you have placed in that seat with him, or even worse, pushed him out completely. If there is something else that is in that seat with him, then we need to repent of that. We need to repent of that. And we need to put God back on the throne of our hearts. Your story needs to start being about the glory of God and not the glory of the other things that we place in our hearts. And so the message from the prophets is our message today. If you, have, if you have gotten that out of place, if you have put things into your heart, into that throne other than God, then we repent of that today. And that's something that you can start today. Where you are in this moment, God's calling to you. I want you back. It's time to come home. Let's be standing. This is going to be a time for us to pray together and pray for each other and with one another.
Uh, we'll have the shepherds down front, and you can come forward and pray with them, or you can get together and pray with groups, or as, as small groups, or families, or, or friends. You can cross the aisle and move around and pray with each other and for one another. Um, this is not something that any of us are exempt from. People who have been on this journey for a long time, we still struggle with making sure that our hearts are pure and that we're not letting anything else sit on that throne. So, so it's a message for all of us as we reflect and pray, God, what are you saying to me? What are the things that might be off in my life? What priorities might I need to rearrange? What might I need to, to reorient my life around? God, what are you saying to me? And then what are you going to do about it? How are you going to be faithful and obedient to what he's calling you to? Let's pray and we'll sing a song together. God, we thank you so much for, for the blessings that you give us. God, I pray that you will reveal to us the things that, in, that are in our lives that, that may be pushing you out. God, convict us of those things and help us to, to repent of those and bring those to you as we make you king of our lives, every bit of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.